Welcome to the Modernizer Die Podcast, CFML News Edition, where we keep you up to date with everything going on in the Cold Fusion community. We'll share the latest news on events, releases to engines, frameworks, libraries, and tools, as well as spotlighting quality content from the community. Welcome to Modernizer Die Podcast, CFML News Edition. It's March 2nd, 2021. We're up to episode 93, Brad. Can you believe it? 93. You know, it feels like we've only done like what, like 92 other episodes or so? Yeah, you Who probably thought it would one. be at 93 already. <laughs> yep. Well, I'm Gavin Pickin, a software consultant for Auto Solutions, and Brad Wood, who's joined me today, is also a software consultant for Auto Solutions. He's got a fancy hey. title than me. Which one did you make up this week? Um, Doer of the Things. Doer of the Things. Official title this week. Sounds sounds pretty professional. Well, uh, we want to thank our sponsor, Auto Solutions, uh, for being able to make this possible. Uh, they obviously do a lot of work with the community and open source, and uh, this podcast is one of those things that we're trying to do to, to spread the news about Cold Fusion and hopefully grow the language and uh, help everybody find things they need to find. Uh, one way you can say thanks to Auto Solutions is to like and subscribe to our videos on YouTube. We're trying to get our numbers up there a little higher. Uh, thanks to everyone who watches live. Uh, I know most of you are subscribed, but if you're listening to the podcast, maybe you can jump on YouTube and uh, follow us there as well. And another way you can support Auto Solutions and say thanks is by uh, supporting CFCast, which is our video platform that we're releasing new and paid con- uh, well, new content every week. Some of it paid, some of it free. Um, and we'll be talking a little bit more about what some of that content is a little later. We also want to thank our Patreon supporters because uh, they're actually paying more than half the bill for this podcast every week now. Uh, we've got yeah, 68%. And I are expensive. You wouldn't believe what it costs to have us around. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I require a steady stream of coffee or green matcha tea lattes, depending on the day. Yeah, I, I live off chocolate. so. <laughs> but uh, we have about... Pay- 33 patron supporters now providing 68% of the funding for this podcast. And a few of them have upped their packages lately because uh, <laughs> of the new perks that we'll talk a little bit more at the end of the show. Love the so. new perks. Mm-hmm. I, I would just like to say that I suggested that a long time ago. I'm glad to see we're finally doing it. Yep. I don't exactly. know if it was on my suggestion or not, but it was a good idea. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, there's some pretty cool little perks there. And, uh, you know, thanking those who are thanking us. A lot of thanks everywhere. So, Okay. Let's get into the news. So first up, we have uh, another product that Adobe is endolifing. Um, so they're I was a little surprised to see that, but I yeah, guess maybe I, not so surprised. I, I remember hearing a little bit about this before, but Brackets, which is one of their editors, they've been running since I think 2010, back in the day when Adam was big and uh, Brackets was another, uh, you know, big. Big editor, they worked on it for a long time, but I guess in September they're finally into lifing it um, and they're not supporting it uh, anymore. And so Adobe has been working with the VS Code team to make it easy if you are using brackets to switch over to VS Code. So they made a little extension pack to make it easier. Uh, and it has a, a brackets key map, so your, you know, your key bindings are all uh, you know, basically brought over. Uh, has some live server, similar to live preview on brackets. Uh, they have sneak peeks similar to quick edit and brackets. 
And then they also have the IntelliSense for CSS. So basically all the big features that Brackets was known for and all the Brackets users loved, uh, they worked really hard to get it up and running in VS Code. So uh, we have a link that we'll share in the chat and in the show notes about if you are a Brackets user, how you can switch over to that. What's interesting is the first thing I thought of um, was, uh, I assume he's still there. I haven't looked at him in a long time, but Adam Lehman, uh, he used to be the product manager or something for cold fusion a long time ago had moved over to brackets way back in the day and i thought he was still there and i was curious if he was still working with brackets and if so where he would go yeah i think adam lehman's been on a few projects one of them was brackets as you mentioned but i think he's been working on a few for a while they seem to multitask over there a little more the project managers yeah i have noticed that even a lot of the cold fusion team people will be on kind of a suite of products which i mean sort of makes sense even though we wish they were dedicated looks yeah. like his current title is director of Pro- director of product and technology adobe io or adobe i think he's been doing more of that um adobe teach or there's a, another couple of little products they have like that part of the creative cloud i believe you say beach like let's go to the beach and no swim? teach like t-e-a-c-h yeah like you're teaching somebody or is it something oh, like that it was for teach? yeah i don't know it's it's hard to keep track this you're out of my league man yeah, but yeah, as Scott mentioned in the chat, uh, Scott and I actually went to one of the Brackets meetups in San Francisco a few years back and stuff. Yeah. I think it was right after a CF Summit, uh, not a CF Summit, uh, 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 AWS Summit, and we went to the Brackets meetup. It was pretty cool. We, we rode an extension and, and everything, got to play with it. It's pretty neat. And so, uh, a lot of the things that VS Code does now, you know, Brackets was trying to do, make it JavaScript friendly and extendable and all that, so... Just to clarify, did Adobe pass the baton to VS Code or did did Adobe just drop it like it's hot and VS Code was like, hey, come use us instead? How would that actually work? VS Code said that they have worked with Adobe to bundle the extension. So I don't know how much integration that is, but VS Code probably reached out to them because it was a, there was a tweet dropped by Adobe saying it's end of lifing in September and like six hours later, VS Code said, hey, we've worked with Adobe to get you this thing. So either they okay. saw it, and within six hours they already had it built. Well, that makes sense. <laughs> if there's not. a chunk of users, and they're like, "Hey, let's get all those users to come over us, to us if we can have a, you know, a equivalent platform." That's interesting. Um, and obviously, Adobe because- is supporting VS Code. Um, a lot of their a lot of their people are going that way. ColdFusion is well, yeah, and ColdFusion so. Builder is supposed to some decade come out on a new version of VS Code based as well. So yeah. it is interesting. I think that's just becoming the default, you know, code editor. Obviously there's some IDEs around, uh, uh, there's a lot of bigger IDEs for a lot of things, but VS code is definitely winning the market for everything else. Hmm. Okay. Well, more reasons to be on VS code, I guess. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I definitely like the key maps. That's pretty <clears throat> cool. Okay. We also have a fusion reactor webinar, but this one was kind of interesting because the blog post is named what are five things you should always check before you release your application. And if you click on it, then you realize, Oh, it's a webinar. Uh, so it was kind of sneaky under the covers, but, uh, you fell for the clickbait. Yep. But I would have probably clicked on it more if I knew it was a webinar, but anyways, so that's going to be with Mikey on March 25th, 9:38 in well, I guess it's AM, it's PDT. Um, 
And so the releasing it, yeah, talking about releasing new app can be stressful. Most dev teams have a QA process, but they should probably go a little deeper into spots and performance issues and errors buried deep in the code. And basically he talks about the five things you check, your, you know, your release. And I think that's a, a pretty good one. And you've tweeted a couple of times this week about uh, why Fusion Reactor can save your bacon. Uh, <laughs> and uh, there'll be probably be some good stuff in there, some good hits and tips. So you guys can go register uh, on the link here. I'm about to share in chat. But also, um, yeah. I think I think you actually mentioned it in a couple of tweets. I think I've shared them here, but yeah, Fusion Reactor can definitely give you some insight that you just won't get elsewhere. I mean, let's be honest. True. Uh, so it's true. I admit it. It's completely true. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Looks like we also had a couple of meetups last week as well. So uh, the online CF meetup. Um, if you missed it. The Golden Hammer, Confessions of a Recovering Database Abuser, Sean Odin. Uh, looks like he was uh, he presented that on February 25th. And we have the recording link, which I'll share in the chat. And, of course, if you just look at YouTube and search Charlie Earhart, you'll see a ton of his meetup videos on YouTube. Um, there's a lot of videos uh, on his YouTube channel. And the rest of them are still available if you go to the meetup site itself. Um, for the online Confusion Meetup, there's a link, I believe, to his old recordings, and there's plenty there for sure. So um, there's also an upcoming meetup on March 11th, and that's Confusion 101, Intro for Beginners, Devs and Decision Makers, and CEOs. And that's going to be um, David Byers is going to be talking about that one. And so uh, we'll share the link to that meetup here as well, so you can go check that out. And we'll have that in the show notes for you as well. So that's going to be Thursday, March 11th, 11 a.m. to 12 and central time for that one. Okay. So we also had uh, an audit webinar. Brad, you want to tell us a little bit about that one in case everybody missed it? Um, doesn't have anything cool like golden hammers, uh, no. unfortunately. <laughs> but uh, I see we're talking about the uh, stash box one with John Clausen. Yes. Yes, we are. Uh, yes, that was uh, February 26th, and John Clausen talked about a pretty uh, exciting, I don't know if we call it a library, what we call it, but a new product, newish from Ordis called Stashbox, which I think is sort of like um, Elasta Stash mixed with Box, and then the logo's a mustache, so <laughs> it's kind of hard to beat that. Um, yeah. But basically, it helps, uh, especially when you're deploying containers, you have all these log files, these error messages, and these, you know, bits of data all over the hard drive, of your containers that you want to be able to track. And, you know, when we have a, a, a server that goes down with Ordis and the container gets shut down and deleted, you know, we, we lose all that information. So Stashbox is like this consolidated, um, you know, server built on top of Elastic, uh, Elastic Cash, if I'm saying it right. Um, last of search, last of something. Um, <laughs> that it kind of like pulls in and indexes all that stuff. And you can go through and search it and you can find it. It's uh it's pretty cool. Um, we're we're plugging into all the stuff that we have just to help kind of track and index and organize all your different log files and your error messages. I think it has like a native uh, I don't know if you call them clients, but you know these little processes that run inside your containers or on your servers, and you point into the log files you want, and it ships the messages over to Stashbox as they come in. So, um, if yeah. you uh, if you're not familiar with that, um, you're gonna want to kind of go back and watch that because it's a pretty uh 
it's a pretty cool tool and i mean the ui is really nice and slick um yeah a good job with it. they really have and that is available up on cfcast.com one of the new releases this week and that's free so go watch that on cfcast.com okay and then uh query of query lucy uh, your query, query, query changes are coming out very soon. 5.3.8 is going to be going stable here very soon with all your awesomeness. Um, but they're working on the query, query updates for Lucy 6 already. And they're looking for some people to submit some complex examples of query of queries for testing. I guess, I guess right now, uh, you did a lot of work on that, but there's still things like some reserve words that'll blow up and, and whatnot. And so, well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's an unrelated ticket to the stuff yeah. that I had done. But yeah, Zach's working on some some tickets. We had found an issue. I say we. I didn't find it, but I've, I've been talking with him about it. Um, we'd found some issues where, um, and this is typical, uh, certain like column names that use a reserved word you can't use, and unique was the one in question. Um, Lucy had added a, a unique column to one of its query objects that comes back from some CF scheduled task tag or something. Um, and one of our users was running it through query query to filter rows out and started blowing up because didn't like the column name unique. And this is one of the queries that didn't use the new query query implementation that I had worked on, um, or at least revamped. It fell back to that hypersonic H2, you know, uh, SQL server. And so Zach's been working on trying to figure out how to properly escape those, which is a bit of a pain because from our understanding in an H2 database, the only way to escape reserved words is to put them in double quotes and whenever you put them in double quotes, it also forces them to be uppercase. <laughs> so it's Whoops. like you, you get one, you have to take the whole package. It's like, well, we don't want it to be uppercase. We just want it to be escaped so they can be anything. But so, yeah, so uh, Zach's been looking for some uh, some examples from our users to be able to put into test cases because he, he had said to me the other day, we don't really have any good. We don't have a lot of good test cases doing joins and query queries. So uh, the best test cases come from actual, you know, user code that people are running. So He's been fishing around on Twitter to get people to send him some example query query usages they have so we can make sure we cover a lot of different use cases and uh, and put those into the test suite for Lucy. Yeah, well, that's, that's pretty cool. I like that. And uh, I'm curious, I mean, Lucy 6, he said something elsewhere on Twitter that something was already merged into, into that branch. So that means the things are coming along nicely, right? We're in the, was 5.3.8 the last stable that's going to come out before 6? Was that right? Or is it 9? Uh, I know we're getting pretty close to basically the next big versions coming out, or the next major is going to be... It depends on who soon. you talk to. Allegedly, Lucy 5.3.8 will be the last 5 version. Gotcha. And I think Zach's trying to work on, if you're not aware, Zach Spitzer's sort of the acting uh, product or project manager right now for, for Lucy. Patrick Quinn had done it for quite a while. Zach's sort of kind of taken over to help organize tickets and figure out releases and stuff. So if you've got a ticket that's not being addressed as a super big blogger, send it to Zach Spitzer because he's the one kind of helping manage that stuff right now. But anyway, from what he's talking about, they're hoping to try to make 5.3 be a long-term support or an LCS release. So, you know, they're trying to get all the regressions put in it, get everything fixed. So there's nothing still left hanging out there and broken. Um, and in theory, if all goes well, 538 will be the last five release and six will be the next one. I don't know how well that'll work because my understanding, I mean, not to poo-poo on it, but my understanding is that 6.0 is like super early alpha and the builds have been broken for like a month and just finally started building again like last week. So I don't know like what the realistic window is of when we would have a stable 6.0. 
Um, and what I what I hate see happen because I've done it myself is when you're like, this will be the last version, and then we're gonna have this big giant version, and then like two years later, you finally get to a point where you can release it, and your product's like stagnated for this like huge amount of time because you know you already like said we're gonna have to make this big jump, but there's so many things broken. So I'm hoping Lucy's able to like not do that. Um, because if there's like a bunch of tiny stuff that goes out and six is still like, you know, a year away from being like a stable release, I'd sort of hate to not have released for a year, but I really don't know how to play out, but that's the plan. So we'll see. The good news is five, three is looking to be very stable. They've got pretty much every regression they could find has been addressed in it. Um, And the five, three release candidate came out a while ago but I've probably seen like 10 or 15 snapshot builds since then. So I know there's still stuff kind of trickling into 5.3.8. I don't know if they're going to make another release candidate or I don't even know when they're planning on releasing it, but yeah, it'll be fun. We'll, we'll find out how that works, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it's tough. Like you say, if you, yeah, working so hot on the next major that it stagnates, that's never good, but you don't want to release a major version of issues too. So you want to get that right. So Oh, yeah yeah I, I so I, I sort of like love it and hate it when you're like uh oh i have a ticket and it got addressed and we're like we're gonna merge this into 6.0 you're like oh it's gonna be three years before it ever comes out you know you're like why can't it just go on the next version man the next version yeah uh but that's kind of what happens unfortunately when you when you have these like huge version numbers you save up for is sometimes um it takes a long time to get those out <laughs> yep, for sure Okay, well, let's jump into our CFCAS update since we already mentioned the webinar was going to be there. So John Colson's webinar is on Stashbox is already up there. That was released yesterday. And then we had some content last Wednesday. Uh, it's our usual release date on that command box Zero to Hero workshop that you built. So some useful commands, some useful modules, and environment variables. So those are the three videos that came out last week. And then we have a few more coming out this week. So tomorrow, uh, keep an eye out for the, the next command box zero to hero workshop videos. Um, but we're getting a pretty good collection of stuff on there now. Um, got quite a few workshop videos up there from uh, command box zero to hero, as well as the cold box zero to hero. Got a ton of webinars up there and quite a few different series. So getting a nice little library. So if you haven't uh, checked it out, Go to cfcast.com and sign up for a free account to get access to all the free content and then subscriptions give you access to uh, all the other materials. So, pretty cool. Okay, conferences and trainings. We actually have a couple new ones in here now. So, if you like swag, the first one might be interesting for you. ViewConf and their tagline, I guess, for this year is Virtual View Love. It's going to be online April 14th. It's going to be free, and the first 500 people to register will get some swag. A special swag box will be sent to you. Uh, so that's pretty exciting for all those people who are missing their swag from uh, the conferences. But I don't know about you, Brad, but I can probably live just swag t-shirts alone for like two months without having to do any laundry. <laughs> I went through them all the other day. I had a box This is stuff. actually one of the first podcast in a long time i'm wearing a shirt that's not a conference shirt it's a shirt my kids got me for christmas but yeah i've got <laughs> most of my shirts like 95 percent of my t-shirts are all conference swag shirts for sure yeah so that's kind of cool uh i went through my closet the other day and, and i was like i got a whole bunch i hadn't even opened from the bags and everything it's kind of crazy but uh swag is always good 
My kids love the stickers. My wife tries to steal them too. So I don't very get to keep very many of my stickers, but um, there's some pretty cool stuff in the swag. So, but the conference is going to be, you know, live video with chat Q&A with the speakers. They're going to have attendee lightning results too. So I'm not sure how that's going to work, but it is hosted by Evan Yu uh, and the core team. And they're going to have a live DJ and a virtual party. So pretty, pretty cool. I'm not sure if that just means if you get bored of the conference talk, you just jump to another room and the DJ's in there, but uh, pretty good. And they have some workshops that they'll be announcing soon, but you can get more information on viewconf.us. So that's uh, a new one coming up here. We also have a uh, Redis conf. So have you been doing, I know you've been doing a lot of work with Couchbase over the years. Have you done a lot more with Redis lately, Brad? I haven't done much with Redis. And this is sort of a silly reason, but the main reason, honestly, that I haven't done much with Redis is because I was pissed off they have no Windows installer. And I don't want to freaking use Docker just to like spin up a Redis instance, even though I know that's easier. I sort of hate using Docker on my machine because it's Docker machine. So it's like the whole freaking virtual box, stupid VM and everything and the Docker machine commands and it's slow and it never works right. And I'm really like, oh my gosh, just let me install it. It's just a Windows service. Nope, doesn't exist. So I'm like, you know what? Screw it. Sorry, Redis. I don't care enough to, to mess with that. So that's literally the biggest reason I just haven't messed with Redis that much is I'm like, you know what? Just let me install it or I, I really don't care. Um, <laughs> So uh, we use it, and I've used it in our Docker stuff, but I've just never really played locally because I have a low tolerance for how much effort I want to put into something. And Couchbase is just like, oh, yeah, Windows installer, MSI, click, click, click. All right, whatever. So Windows service, I start it when I want it, and then I stop it. No Docker needed for local, and that's the way I prefer it. Gotcha. So lazy. Well, they have uh, their free conference uh, April 20th and 21st. Um, there's... They did have a call for speakers, which is now closed. They haven't released any information on uh, who's speaking or what they're speaking about yet. So we'll give you more information as we get it. But uh, put that in your uh, I will say, just on that topic, I think that just from looking at our, like, because we have, Ortis has a MongoDB extension for Lucy. We have a Couchbase extension for Lucy that I wrote. And then we have a Redis extension for Lucy, which Luis wrote. Out of those, I've seen the most activity on Redis for the last year, at least just as far as like support questions, licenses being purchased, questions about them. So I think Redis definitely is the hottest of the three, just as far as what people are, are using, which is understandable. Yeah, um, no. I still really like Couchbase. Unfortunately, they've added a lot of limitations onto the community version that didn't used to be there back in the day. So, you know, you have like limits to how many buckets you can use. And it's just, it's a little annoying to have to deal with that. Yeah. We always want the, as much as you can get for for free, but um, yes, we but, do. <laughs> yeah, I know with Redis, um, a lot of their the way their pricing works is you sort of get like a stripped down single core version for free, and if you want all the uh, the bigger multi core version type setup, uh, more redundant setup, that's usually where their licensing kicks in. But I know, uh, yeah, so, as soon as it starts it? to look enterprising and failovery. <laughs> yeah the money kicks in yep exactly but um adobe added redis support recently as one of their uh caching options right and that's why i know that a lot more people have been looking at redis well that was back in like 2018 wasn't it that's what i the thought 2018 version yeah but that's what i'm saying um, that was one of the 
the because they had EH cash for a while. Um, and yeah, you know, but that, Redis was the first like external session cache. Exactly. I'm still pretty disappointed in how Adobe did that whole thing. Um, you look at how Lucy is architected, and it's just <clears throat> so much more powerful. It's like you know, unlimited number of cache providers, extendable, you know, externally, and you can just tie your sessions to whichever one you want. Mongo, Couchbase, Redis, you know, and Adobe added external session storage in Redis, which was like sweet, but it's like hard coded only for Redis. Um, though they added a second one. What is it? Is it Memcache? No. I thought the latest version of Adobe had a, something else in the drop down now than Redis, but yeah, I had to go it? look at it. Yeah, I'm not sure, but yeah, that's but yeah, the... I think I think you're right. I, I, we have clients that are using it. I know they're yeah. at Adobe Gold Fusion and they're using the the Redis storage. Um, I think that's one of the things that kind of pushed uh, Fusion Reactor even to add some uh, special hooks into Fusion Reactor to help monitor um, Redis usage. Um, because it, it'll monitor the under-the-cover stuff that Cold Fusion is doing with Redis, which is pretty cool. Yeah, very cool. So, yeah, if you're uh, looking for a caching solution, maybe if you're using Adobe, it's your real good option. Under Lucy, like you said, there's Couchbase as well as Redis and other options there. But uh, find out more at the conference, 20th and 21st of April. Okay, DockerCon, since uh, Brad just spurted how much he doesn't like Docker much sometimes. Uh, and his local development anyway. I don't, I don't like to have to use it locally. Though yeah. all the tech and power stuff I did recently, I will say it was really nice they had it in Docker. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was kind of appreciating that. But it's because they had like PostgreSQL and Python and Colfi, like all these things spinning up at the same time. And it actually was really convenient for that. But yeah, I, I love it and I hate it at the same time. It's a love, hate, hate, love thing. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely got its place. <laughs> you know, Command Box takes away a lot of the reasons most people want a Docker in the first place for local development. So it does, mm -hmm. it's nice to spin up uh, every once in a while. But definitely for our servers, we're all hitting dock away it's definitely helping us a lot there yes yeah, uh, yeah for orders as soon as we hit stage or production 100 percent docker and i i really do enjoy it there yep and so docker.com slash docker con that's going to be may 27th a one-day conference you can find out more about it there registration is available um so jump up and get that and then talk a little bit about our Audis workshops. We have the quick workshop, March 11th and 12th. We have a couple of people uh, registered already, which means it, it should be Sign going Sign up forward. fast, people. Seats are flying off the shelf. Yeah. Going soon, fastly. Yeah. We don't usually have too many people in the workshops. We like to keep it small, especially with the online workshops. So if you're wanting to sign up, uh, please do. Uh, the registration link will be shared in the chat and it's available in the show notes as well at the end of the show. Uh, we have some more uh, dates coming for uh, other workshops soon. Uh, there'll be Command Box Zero to Hero, Call Box Zero to Hero, Call Box Hero to Superhero. And then uh, mm -hmm. we should have some more information about Call for Speakers coming out soon for Into the Box, uh, our developer week style, which we're planning to have in September. So we'll have more information on those dates and Call for Speakers coming out soon too. So, and then if you can't wait for those conferences, you can go to comps.tech and check out the, the list of all the different possible conferences around. And as soon as we have some dates, we'll be adding ours there as well. But if you and we check do that have out, a CFML a added there now, right? Yep. So we need to get some submitted. So it'll show up on the list here. As you see, there's quite a few JavaScript ones. So ViewConf is in there. So 
definitely go check that site out if you're looking for some additional content. Although there's a lot of conferences online right now, so there's plenty of it out there. This is hilarious. Out of all the pieces of information that were the most important critical pieces of information for them to list about a conference, they had the name, okay, the date, all right, hashtag Twitter, and the link to the code of conduct because I don't give a flip what, okay. Yeah. <laughs> when is it? What's the date? That's what I want to know. <laughs> Every single one of these code of conduct. Well, yep. bless their hearts. Okay. So let's get into the blogs, tweets, and videos of the week. <laughs> so the first one we have up here is actually one by Charlie on the Fusion Reactor site. So share your screen for those watching. So changing slow Fusion Reactor's slow request threshold. Why mm. and how? Um, if you notice in the UI that which requests are slow, the duration shop and rate on the UI, and the default is eight seconds, but you can actually change that. But my, most people don't even know how to do it. So Charlie, I know. yep, Charlie's gone through the, <laughs> you know, how to see and change the slow request options, get into the settings. So really detailed. But uh, yeah, this is pretty important um if you're wanting to filter out your request sometimes you you know eight seconds is too short if you're depending on the type of task sometimes it's way too long so yeah but now to get out and monitor that and uh change that yourself it's, it's not just the red highlight that is one of the things that controls this highlight on this red okay. um Fusion Reactor also has two menu items that were confusing to me at first one was slowest request and one was longest request i'm like what what's the difference one of them was just like the overall longest request since the server started, regardless of how long or short it was. And then the slowest request is like a rolling window of the last 100 or so requests that were over the quote, slow request threshold. Mm. Um, so pretty certain that setting also controls what's in that view. Very cool. So uh, Charlie also linked to uh, a webinar he did on configuring Fusion Reactor. Um, and a couple of video tutorial pages as well. So this is definitely a good blog post to check out. Um, as we always say, we love Fusion Reactor. It's great. Um, but yeah, learning more about it and how to use it uh, make you even more powerful and get to the bottom of a lot more things. So thanks, Charlie, for sharing that. Um, this was an interesting one. Um, Matthew Clemente did a blog post on the UC First um, function in Lucy and I'd heard of this function, but I didn't know it did as much as it does. Have you played with this one before, Brad? I had Brad? forgotten about that. Isn't that um, like a title case thing? Yeah. As so... as the first letter of a string to uppercase, first letter of each word, and optionally. Yeah, I had forgotten that was even a built-in function. I haven't seen that in years. But the cool thing is, is it'll actually do first names and last names, too. So if you say, hey, I just want to first case this sentence, it'll go through you know, basically the entire sentence and figure out, oh, these these words are actually names and therefore they should be capitalized anyway. And so you have options names for... recognizes. Yeah, and it's kind of interesting. So there's, you know, improperly case stuff. So Pulling the source code up. What does but, it call? It calls capitalize method on the string util class. Yeah. Which appears to be something custom made I was, I was checking to see if, if it used like a you know a apache library or something is white space i'm trying to i'm looking for like the thing where it determines if it's a a name well he even has a link this is a account for uh celtic names or celtic names depending on how you want to pronounce that um 
But yeah. Seeing it's, the code where it deals with names. It's not always perfect, but there's a couple of nice little options there. And, you know, yeah, I'd heard of it, but I didn't think it was this powerful. So it's kind of neat. But there, um, but oh, yeah, I there's see. there's two different flags you can pass to it. Um, but basically, the title case is the second argument. So if you want to like do a title case, like you're going to do a blog post or something, it'll you see every uh, word in the sentence basically. So it's kind of interesting. You see, is how the kids say uppercase these days. Yeah, sorry. I'm I'm completely not seeing where it deals with the detecting what what things are names i know i was that also really blew me away you know obviously first letter of a word easy enough to do first letter in every word yeah that's not too bad you could do that um you know but knowing which name which words are names that's pretty cool so and then uh, james moberg uh responded to the Twitter uh, post about that saying that he's been working with some Java's uh, Java libraries to do something similar. And we seem to be releasing a UDF pretty soon too. So, but it's kind of cool that that's just built into Lucy and it sounds like it's a little smarter than, you know, you'd expect. So pretty cool. So I'll share that link here. Now I want to know chat. how it does the name stuff. But I'm just not seeing it here in the Lucy source code. I'll have to come back and look at this later. Yep. How does it know? And then Charlie mentioned in the chat, sorry I didn't see it when I was uh, talking about it, but uh, Charlie says that on the page he shows a slow request page as well, and he's, um, there's also a slow transactions threshold and pages for that as well. So, um, yeah, definitely a detailed blog post, as we come to expect from Charlie. And he lives up to it. And as Matthew Clemente says in the, in the chat, the name stuff is not perfect, but... Um, yeah, he says the Celtic names are not accounted for, which, I mean, to be expected, um, but it's better than nothing. So, but I'm, yeah, I'm kind of curious how they are doing those names too. We'll have to figure that out. Okay, well, let's jump into the next one while Brad keeps Googling that, I'm sure. So next one, we have one from Ben Nadal. And this one was pretty interesting. Um, Converting my Logly search bookmarklets into an unpacked Chrome extension. So, um, I don't know if you've been bitten by it lately, but um, there's all sorts of content security policies and Chrome updates and everything. And uh, there's a lot of stuff out there which, um, I don't know, locking things down is one way to put it, but breaking stuff is another way to put it. Hmm. And so, <laughs> a couple of years ago, he said he put a link between his Logly JSON modal and his JSON Explorer, and basically his little logs. He used to make it so he could, you know, basically show things in JSON easily, and this didn't work uh, anymore with some of these changes. So, basically, what he did is he made a little um, Chrome extension, and an unpacked Chrome extension, which just loads it off his file system. And obviously, you guys don't need to do this, but it's kind of cool that we can do this type of thing with Chrome. And so, this is basically his little uh, content script um, for Chrome, ties it into that. And so, basically, if it matches certain things, then this, this little extension can kick in. It uh, has some CSS that he's overriding too. But it's just kind of cool, and we'll scroll down a little bit further for those watching to get to the the point where basically he just has it where, you know, if you're clicking on some of the things in Logly that the extension sort of kicks in and, and does some work there. But it's kind of neat that, you know, you can sort of 
basically hack into an existing website and change its functionality just by doing some code in your extension. So uh, if you want to find out more about it, obviously dive into dive into this. Ben's always very detailed in his uh, blog post and explaining that. Uh, but it's kind of neat that I can just tie those two together with a little uh, unpacked Chrome extension. Uh, we got a couple more from Ben here. So this one, the next one from him, um, I thought was kind of neat was he's using a custom CF param tag that exposes error information in Lucy. So basically he's using a CF param uh, tag, but he wanted to basically wrap it in a try catch to be able to get a little more information out of it. Um, and so long story short, um, he creates the CF specified tag and then has a name and a type and a default, similar to the way you use CF param. But when it actually errors, he can get more information out of it. So, um, you know, the normal underlying CF param error is something like this. The CF message is count cast string, explicit struct creation to the type of Boolean. But what you can do is actually get a lot more information out of it. See if it's defined, if it's got a default, if it's been defined before or not, stuff like that. So it can actually give you more information. So you just wrapped it up. And uh, I know the, in Coldbox, we have quite a few tags like this, right, Brad, that will wrap a underlying ColdFusion tag to try and make it a little special, give us ways to mock it up when we're testing or things like that. But it's kind of neat, you know, just to, just the little things we can do to, you know, make our life easier as a developer and get more information out of something. So, but I want to know what program Ben uses to put the little text in the arrows. I always like that. So, yeah. He always has those in his blog post to helps talk about what he's doing. It's probably Envision, Brad. <laughs> his app. <laughs> maybe, maybe so. Maybe. Okay, so here's an interesting one that I don't know if you knew about or not. Again, from Ben, but this is a, an extension of his working on um, his email tasks. So basically building um, some some custom tags in ColdFusion to help with his email set up. And we got one more in his series. He's got 11 in that series. We think we talked about 10 of them already. So we'll talk about that soon. But what he noticed that in... Adobe and Lucy, it seems to treat the caller scope a little bit differently than you uh, you may expect. So one of the cool things inside of uh, custom tags is if you use the caller, you can get the page that's calling it and then basically tunnel back into that calling context. And so if you have the caller dot, you know, URL dot something or caller dot form dot something, you can access things from the URL or the form scope from inside the custom tag, you know, so you can sort of tunnel well, out. The URL on the form scope should already exist inside the custom tag. Well, it's just an example. Um, but I mean, you can get to other things in there too, not just the URL. Well, form. I use caller to get to the variable scope before the custom tag was called. Yeah. However, that always makes me a bit nervous because I think it breaks encapsulation pretty badly when you yeah. have a little self-contained module that just like reaches out and grabs variables. But if you are coding something that you know it'll accept that, it's actually kind of nice. Yeah. Otherwise, there's no like direct access to those outside variables. Yep. And you can chain it. If you have custom tags calling custom tags, you can be like caller dot caller dot caller dot. <laughs> yeah. And the law of Demeter is like crying in the corner while you chain your way all the way out to the top level page. Yeah. And so what he was saying, though, was that in ColdFusion, if you do like a caller and then use array notation and do URL dot set via caller, um, 
basically that will set the URL variable set via caller. And so the URL scope is, is changed uh, through that array notation. But in Lucy, that'll actually create a variable inside the caller um, called URL dot. I like Lucy's caller. behavior. Okay, I had seen this on Twitter, but I hadn't actually read it to see what the difference was. I think Adobe's wrong. Um, like like I said, caller isn't a, a mechanism for accessing form and URL. Those are just transcendent scopes that the Cold Fusion engine just has available to you anywhere. Caller is I want the variable scope of my calling uh, of the of the template that in, you know included the CF module. So yeah, yeah if I said caller dot URL, I would totally expect it to create a URL key in the variable struct of the caller. Lucy is one hundred percent right. And so Honestly, that, this this probably boils down to some weird little picadillo inside of how Cold Fusion references nonsense that just allowed that to work. But I yeah. certainly wouldn't have expected Adobe's behavior. And so if you use the caller dot URL dot sit via caller, Lucy will treat it, you know, that way. But yeah, basically Cold Fusion looks like it's taking the string from the array notation and then doing an eval on it, essentially, you know, evaluating it from that context and doing some weird stuff. So there's a difference. But uh, anyway, I just thought it was interesting. You know, anytime there's a difference, it's nice to, to know and, and see. But yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm just confused why he was trying to use the caller scope to touch the URL in the first place. It seems like. I think it was just an ex is, Yeah, I think it was more of an that. example of, you know, something. Is this a golden hammer? Was he taking this golden hammer and beating <laughs> Cold Fusion with it? Huh. Well, I'm looking. I'm, I'm thinking he'd created a ticket for it because I'd seen it a couple of places. Though. Yeah. If anybody deserves a ticket, I think it's Adobe. I think Adobe's behavior is dumb there. Um, be interesting to to know why it does that. I'm trying to how long ago was this post? I'm trying to see. I'm scrolling through a Slack form or a Slack channel here that has all the Lucy tickets in it to see if he'd created a ticket for that. Maybe I just saw it come across Twitter. Mm, I know yeah. Ben doesn't always create tickets when he finds a difference because he's not sure if it's a bug, and that's totally fair. Yeah. Um, and you're sure yeah, which I don't one's see, about. <laughs> I don't I don't know but a ticket get created. I think I may have just seen it come across Twitter then. Yeah. And I'm trying to think of some other examples huh. where you'd want to access a scope that wasn't the variable scope from there, but most things should be in the variable scope or the the few <clears> times <throat> I've used custom tags, if I want them accessing anything, well, if I'm passing something in, if I want a custom tag to get something then I pass it in explicitly. But if you want your custom tag to set something, which I mean, you had, you had that sort of behavior when you have like the CFHTP tag, right? And, you know, unless you use the results equals, um, oh, I bet that's why it just occurred to me. So like CFHTP default behavior, you call the tag and this magical variable shows up in your variable scope, which the tag reached out and placed there called variables.cfhtp. Mm -hmm. I wonder if, um, like with, with like with the CFHTP, you can say results equals, you say, I want the result to be in local dot foo or something. I'm curious if this is some underlying mechanism, but Adobe put in place to make that easier. So inside of their, you know, tags, they could reach out and set something into a different scope other than variables. I wonder if that's why a caller behaves like that. Cause I've always just imagined caller is just like a straight up reference to the variable scope, you know, as if I just passed the variable scope in, it's just a reference to that struct. Yeah, it seems to but, be more of a tunnel to that context. And that's the way Adobe seems to treat it. And then it evaluates that in that context. Yeah, which I don't really care for that. But Interesting, though. The, I guess the, the, the cool thing about that is 
with Adobe, if I wanted to have a custom tag of my own that created a, a local variable, and I'm guessing I have to test this to see if it actually works, if I created a variable in a scope other than variables, you could probably use that with caller, I'm guessing. But with Lucy, I don't, I'm, I'm curious now if it would be possible, I'm guessing no, to be able to, you know, put something in the caller's argument scope or something. He did say if you use caller dot the scope dot the variable, it seemed to work, but caller bracket notation Ugh. inside a quote that didn't because like you said if it's inside a quote it's the name of a key even the name of the key had a dot in it you shouldn't expand it to a key scope you know yeah. so i See, think that, so that here's I the thing is... i've heard misha say a hundred times which is and he, he hates the fact that adobe and in several different places around cold fusion or cfml treats dots different than brackets so foo dot bar is not always treated the same as foo bracket bar in quotes mm. um and misha said i've heard him say it a million times went from 100 to a million you hear that um he, he hates that adobe does it and it's wrong and lucy always 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 treats dots and brackets the exact same there's no difference it's merely two different syntaxes for the exact same dereferencing of a variable um and so it's interesting to hear already that this is one of those things where Adobe's like oh you use brackets we're gonna go do something else now um and i'd have to go look to see what the other differences are but I know there's a handful of things that, are, that Lucy does different that Misha refuses to fix because he's like, no, dots should be the same as brackets. And I completely agree with him on that. I, yeah. I think that should be two different syntaxes for the exact same thing. So that's, that's interesting to hear that they have differences there. Yeah, and I, th I think it's just because they don't evaluate on the string. The string is a string and you leave it alone. And speaking of that, uh, looks like there's something similar going on in this renaming CFML query columns by Julian Halliwell. And so um, he's talking about how there's no query rename columns function in either Lucy or Adobe, although Zach Spitzer saw this and uh, made a ticket. Um, but <laughs> basically, you know, query column names can be problematic in some situations, particularly Adobe. Uh, where you may have a query new, where you have first name, and the first name actually has a one starting it. So that theoretically is invalid because you can't have a variable starting with a number, right? Yeah. And then last name has a space in it. So that obviously has problems. Um, so it works in Lucy, but Adobe will error because of that. Um, basically, just like I said. But yeah, so you get around it. Lucy spreadsheet library, which does support adobe which some people forget as well it actually uses the underlying query java object so by using that you can actually get in the query and use set column names and so it actually allows you to change the names after it's been created uh, and so you can actually create a column name which has the right name and then you can set the query names afterwards and so then it will actually work yeah it's kind of <laughs> surprised that's not a that's not a first class feature um you know, because sometimes you get a query that you can't control and you just want to be able to massage it without having to like loop over it and create a whole new query. So it'd yeah. be nice to see a, a first class Biff be added into both engines that kind of formalizes that. Yeah. But like, like you said, it's not officially supporting each engine, uh, but it goes to the Java, you know, query object basically, but they could remove it or change it or something. Uh, but ColdFusion does set the names in uppercase if you do something like that. So it's probably what uh, like Zach was dealing with with the query query stuff as well. He's probably using something like this to rename it and escape it. And then when you do that, it uppercases it. Um, but anyway, so he, he actually shares a little UDF yeah. here if you want to use it. So I don't, I don't know how Adobe does it, but I spent a lot of time looking at Lucy's code. 
they have a, a key class that's not just a string, but the column names are represented as a key class instance. Then inside of the key, it has the original casing, and then it has an uppercase version it stores. And the uppercase version is kind of like what it is internally, and that way you can do these case-insensitive lookups, but then you mm -hmm. still have the original case in there. Um, okay. So I assume Adobe does something similar to that. But you have to be careful, because depending on how you create it, you get it all uppercase. Yep. Okay, so next up here, we have one from Ben Liddell. And this one, he was looking at his custom tag performance differences between the CF module and CF input in Lucy. And uh, part of his hackathon uh, at Envision, um, they basically spun some stuff up in Docker um, from his host computer, moved into his Docker container, and then instantly ran into some uh, issues with CF import based on custom tags. And uh, Docker on you know, Mac and even I think on Windows too, because of the way it works. Uh, it's a pretty good substitute for, you know, the same working environment, except for file IO. There's always been a big bottleneck in that. And so if you do something, a lot of file IO, you can really see some performance differences. And so he was looking at CF input tag versus using a CF module and seeing if there was a, a difference there. And he found out there sure as heck was. Uh, and so if we scroll down a little bit more here, you can see how uh, in the CF import, basically every time that that tag was used, there was a huge 1.5 second uh, delay, um, you know, basically, or 12 milliseconds if you use the CF module um, tag. So basically... And this is one of the things I had tweeted about. Yep, exactly. And so, yeah, you know, didn't know why, but uh, Fusion Reactor made it pretty quick quick to see that that was the import tag that was causing all the problems and if you compare it to the, C, the cf module it happened a lot quicker but it was all basically because of the file io yeah it was one of the things that was interesting is it did this even with trusted cache or inspect templates as lucy calls it um turned on because the the disk checking wasn't part of compiling class files it was just part of the tag that says oh, you've included a custom tag, does it exist on disk? And then if it does, then it will go and look and see if it's a compiled version. Um, and of course, Misha already commented on the ticket that we put in about it saying, yeah, we should put in some kind of cache, you know, so you don't look for the file over and over again. The trick, of course, is always <laughs> nice uh, hacker's reference. The trick yeah. is always on, on production, you always want to cache those kind of things because your file system never changes. But, you know, on development, what if you move to file around and you want, you know, Lucy to check and make sure it exists? So it's it's always a trouble to, to cache those things, but yeah. Anyway, for sure. And then uh, we have one more blog post from Ben. Uh, basically, part eleven of that custom text create an email uh, DSL. So if you want to check that out, um, that'll be in the show notes as well. And then the last one is a podcast. They've got episode eleven. So episode eleven is a listener questions, and this one is where basically they, um, you know, they had a a response from uh, Adam Cameron on their um, on their blog, uh, sorry, on their episode about testing, because uh, Adam posted a scathing but loving rebuttable rebuttal of everything that uh, Ben had said in episode nine on testing. So they discuss uh, Adam's post and dig more deep into how testing gets applied in real world scenarios and answer a few other questions. So um, check that out. And I mean, Adam had some good points as we mentioned before, but. Um, I haven't actually listened to this one yet. I want to uh, listen to this and see how they react to Adam's responses. So, but another good one. So that's uh, the end of our blogs, tweets, and videos for the week. But let's get into the jobs. We have uh, five new jobs on GetCFML jobs this 
dubs.com this week. So if you're looking, there's a position in Texas, Melbourne, Florida. I always, when I see Melbourne, I always think Australia. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, wait a minute, what? Melbourne's in Florida? Well, that's kind of the Florida of Australia, maybe. Um, and then a couple more um, jobs here as well. So, Cultivation Developer, Plymouth. And then this one here might be the same. Let me click on it and find out a little more details. Social Security Administration in Woodland, Maryland. Interesting. So New Texas has a Woodlands, but Maryland has one too. Woodlawn. Oh, Woodlawn. Woodlawn. Sorry, I might have said that wrong the first time too. <laughs> so, yeah, so a lot of good job postings uh, this week. So go check those out if you're looking on getcfmodjobs.com. Follow them on Twitter to see them as they get released uh, or just check out the site there. And if you're looking for someone, remember you can post right there too. Okay, next up we have our Forgebox module of the week. And this one isn't a module as you stated. Mm -hmm. But it's a package. It's a package. And package module, I guess, it's still available on Forgebox, and that's the important thing. <laughs> and this week, we're going to talk about one that we probably should have mentioned before, but we haven't. Lucy server. The Lucy CF engine. And if you look at versions here, you'll see there's 682 versions of Lucy that you can run via command box. Um, That's a lot. That's because we have every single snapshot build ever yep. automatically generated. We used to only have the major versions because I would manually add them, but now it's fully automated. And as soon as Misha, look, there's 6.0 snapshots in there. As soon as Misha commits code and pushes it and the Travis build runs, there's a job that that day will pick those up. It'll push them into S3. It'll stick them into Forgebox. And you can test on the bleeding edge. Um, and a lot of people don't realize when they start a Lucy server in command box and they dial in a specific version, it's just going out and installing a package off of Forgebox, which is the Lucy engine. Um, so, yep, those are all out there. And uh, if, you, if you scroll up real quick, Gavin, you can show them. Um, there's a, a little filter at the top of the version page on Forgebox where if you want to be able to find a version, you can type in uh, part of a version number. So if you type in like 5.3.6, <clears throat> it'll filter the versions below or you can say show me only stable versions you know show me snapshots um so those those that i can't talk those are some recent changes that uh javi helped add to this to make it a little bit easier and also if you look in the url you'll see that it saves that deep link to that exact filtered version you can copy that url and give it to someone and it'll drop them to forge box it'll switch the versions tab it'll apply that filter so I use this a lot to help people kind of link them directly to a version of a package. Yeah, that's I'll really cool. That I hadn't noticed that myself. So that is pretty neat. Yeah. And if you uh, do have a look, you can see that the, the latest snapshot for um, 5.3.8 is up to 149, Brad. So yeah. they have had quite a few uh, snapshots. They've been banging on it for a while, that's for sure. Yep. It's kind of neat to see <clears> when the dates, you know, they're added as well in different versions. So um, pretty cool. So, all right, let's wrap this up. I have a meeting in four minutes. Oh, make that three minutes. Okay, well, VS Code is up next. Our VS Code's hint, tip and trick of the week is our Rainbow CSV. And that one actually is pretty cool. I haven't seen it. And if Brad needs to drop off, I'll just pretend he was never here. Um, but the Rainbow CSV, um, 
has some cool features. I kind of like how it highlights each column separately, which is really useful when you're oh, missing. Yeah, because they're not like, you know, all tabbed in or aligned. They're all kind of mixed together, but yep. you can follow down with your eyes. That's yep. a good idea. And some multi-cursor editing going on, some automatic consistency check as well. Oh, man. How many times have I stared at a CSV file and you got to count in like eight columns to find, you know? Yep. And they support lots sick. of different... Um, separators and certain extensions that will auto load uh the cool thing is i didn't even know you could do this there's actually a query language called r rbql which allows you to to basically query nice. over the csv and then it spits it out in here like a little tabular format and everything so i thought that was pretty dang neat too so pretty cool pretty sweet pretty cool. there's a reason everybody's moving to vs code i tell you you know the funny thing is is they've actually had it for lots of other versions too they've got it on vim adam <laughs> sublime get it uh, any of it and nano and intellij so anyways i, I thought that was pretty cool too. i'd never heard of it until it reached vs code <laughs> yep exactly it's because of this podcast is awesome that's why it is it's because we give you what you need to know here yep Okay, well, last but not least, we want to thank our Patreon supporters. And now, remember, bronze packages now get Forgebox Pro accounts and CFCast subscriptions right. as a perk for their Patreon subscription. So if you're not sure which of the several ways you can give to Ordis, the best way is to sign up for a Patreon package, and embedded within that will be perks like CFCast and other things. So Yep, and if you go to our Patreon page right here, <laughs> You can see the different accounts and you see some of the information on the perks here. It'll tell you what you get, etc. So definitely. Yep, you get you don't throw a fit. Yep. And then if uh, if you didn't get the email inviting to those, just reach out to us and we'll get your accounts connected and everything. Yep. Um, and if you're a Patreon you. supporter and you don't have the little special badge on the Ordis community, let us know as well. We'll make sure you get that so you can wear your swag. Okay, yep. I read the Patreon names last week, so it's I'm going to say me. it's your turn. Okay, so thank you, Don Bellamy, Eric Hoffman, Gary Knight, Giancarlo Gomez, David Bellinger, Yogesh Mithur, Mario Rodriguez, John Wilson, Wilson Matrix, Joseph Lamery, Ben Nadal, Brett DeLine, Kyle Von Staten, Charlie Earhart, Dan Card, Daniel Garcia, Didier Lesnicki, Edgardo Cabezas, is that right this time? Jan Yannick, <laughs> Cabezas, Jason yeah. Dager. Jeff McLean, Jeremy Adams, Jonas Erickson, Jordan Clark, Kai Koenig, Laxma Tirahadi, Leon Suramelis, um, Matthew Darby, Matthew Clemente, Mingo Hagen, Patrick Flynn, Ross Phillips, Scott Steinbeck, and Stephen Potts. It's a Steinbeck. It's in the yeah. back of your throat. <laughs> well, that's why we have you saying, Brad, because you're just way better at this. But, you know, uh, if Scott ever finishes that uh, J, 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 M, I can't say it, JMES path, uh, support for command box. Maybe we'll start saying his name right. Yeah, he said he's working on chat. He's working on it. So well, we'll have to, we'll have to talk about that. Um, yeah. That next time I'm on, I'm pretty excited about what Scott's doing. Cool. Kind of like right. the JQ command for bash, but built in the command box. But we're out of time for today, so yep. Just leave that okay. little cliffhanger dangling for you. Yeah. So come back and uh, check that out real soon. Thanks everybody. Have a great week, and we'll see you next week. Bye guys. Bye. Show notes for this episode can be found at cfmlnews.modernizeordie.io, where you can also subscribe to your favorite podcast player like Spotify or iTunes. We also have the link to YouTube to find more videos just like this. The music used in this podcast is under a royalty-free license from Sound.com and Bluetree Audio.